All right, uh, we're going to talk now about the situation in Ukraine that emerged over the course of the weekend, and I'm not one for warnings. You know, this could be disturbing. I, I, I think they get used a lot, and as somebody who had to read them a lot over the course of my TV news career, I was never a big fan because I think, you know, we, we throw it around and it sort of diminishes the value of it. But I think in this case, it, it might make sense um, as we talk about some of the things that were uncovered uh, in towns and communities near Kiev. Um, as the Russian troops pulled back and Ukrainian forces moved back in. Um, yeah, it's disturbing, pure and simple. There's no two ways to put it. And I don't want to have to sort of um, tiptoe around uh, what we're talking about here. So there you go. There's your warning. We're going to be talking about some pretty disturbing uh, subject matter here. Um, basically, just to bring you up to speed on the situation, what happened is... Uh, over the weekend, it started to emerge as Ukrainian forces, as I say, moved back into uh, a number of communities near Kiev. Okay, one of them, the one you're hearing most about today, is Bucha, which is a town of roughly 35,000 people. Uh, and there, in the streets, bodies of what appear to be civilians have been found, many of them. There's also mass graves. Um, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Koleba says some of these civilian casualty scenes are just absolutely brutal. Russia is uh, worse than ISIS in the, in the scale and the ruthlessness of the crimes committed. We all uh, referred to Bucha, but we should not forget about other towns and villages in the Kiev region, which uh, also uh, became the crime scene for Russian army. So the deputy mayor of Bucha says 50 of um, some 300 bodies found were the victims of what they're calling extrajudicial killings carried out by the Russians. Now, the Kremlin continues to reject all of these allegations, saying um, it's not true. Um, they're denying that they were basically taking part in this. But there are videos and there are pictures of bodies of people in civilian clothes, um, who appear to have been killed at close range, um, some of them wrapped in plastic bound with tape and thrown into a ditch. Others, you can clearly see their hands have been tied behind their back. So um, clearly, based on what we're seeing, uh, it looks like, it looks like clear indications of war crimes. But what does that mean? We're going to chat now with Valerie Oosterville, who's an associate director of Western University's Center for Transitional Justice and Post-Conflict Reconstruction, she is also a member of the Canadian Partnership for International Justice. Uh, Valerie, thank you for joining us once again. I really appreciate your time. Hello. Taking a look at what we saw emerge over the weekend, just give us your characterization of what we saw coming out of Bucha and other areas around Kiev. So what we've seen images of are what looks like to be intentional, direct attacks against civilians, and indiscriminate attacks, and that there has been quite a bit of murder going on in the Russian-controlled areas, or formerly Russian-controlled areas, uh, just around Kiev. So, war crime. Explain to us the meaning of that, what rises to the level of a war crime, and what does it mean if somebody has committed a war crime? Sure. So a war crime is a very serious type of violation of what's called international humanitarian law. That's the law that governs the means and methods of warfare. There's another type of crime also um, that comes into play in this situation called crimes against humanity. 
this is a widespread or systematic attack directed against the civilian population. And um, the facts can fall into both categories of crime. These are the types of crimes that are being investigated by the International Criminal Court's prosecutor in Ukraine, as well as the prosecutor general of Ukraine in partnership with Lithuania and Poland in a joint investigation, as well as many other European countries. Uh, yeah, and like you say, I mean, uh, Joe Biden talking today about how Putin is a war criminal, uh, France, UK, Germany, even Canada, saying that this kind of behavior can't be tolerated. So what does that mean? What do they do? Um, um, and how, from what I understand, any kind of action around this would likely take years and years, correct? Well, war crimes investigations tend to take time because they're incredibly complex and the evidence takes time simply just to um, to gather, to analyze, and then to put forward in, a, in an arrest warrant and then get someone before a court. It, it's often the getting someone before a court, which is the longest period of time. So we have the International Criminal Court's prosecutor and his team already operating in Ukraine. Um, They are trying to collect the evidence that has sort of come out on the weekend. So that could be uh, satellite images plus journalistic images that have been taken. But they have to also ensure that that evidence doesn't get tainted in any way, shape or form, because otherwise then it's subject to the sorts of allegations that Russia is making about tainted evidence. Um, Yes, sorry. I'm just wondering, like when we talk about evidence and things like that, I mean, obviously we don't know for sure, but just based on what we've seen, you know, the bombing of hospitals, um, maternity hospitals, um, what we saw, you know, the mass grave is, it's a mass grave. We saw the pictures. I mean, I imagine it has to be investigated to make sure that it's, it's actually what we're seeing. But based on what we're seeing, have we reached that level, that standard of proof that you talk about? Well, it certainly looks like it. And I mean, I think we've reached that a long time ago with the indiscriminate attacks taking place at hospitals, schools, yeah. humanitarian convoys, etc., all across the country. But here we have uh, direct um, images of what, what, what existed as soon as the, the Russian troops had evacuated. So that's within what was an occupied territory. And the, the this sort of evidence uh i mean i i do think it supports claims that war crimes have taken place and crimes against humanity have taken place um but it's usually courts that would rule on that in order to assign that uh kind of label and that is the part that takes time unfortunately um when we take a look at this and people are saying, you know, and Biden saying that Putin is a war criminal. So is that who would be charged? Like what with what we're seeing, you know, I've heard some analysts say it looks like troops out of control. It's not necessarily directed by military leaders who would be directed by Putin. Ultimately, I guess the question is, who gets charged? Who gets held accountable for this? Well, anyone from the foot soldier all the way up to President Putin could be charged. The What happens in war crimes prosecutions and crimes against humanity prosecutions is it becomes harder and harder to uh, prove the direct link to the highest right. person, so to President Putin. Um, it, it's easier to get witness evidence, for example, of the foot soldiers on the ground, maybe even of their commanders in the area. But then once you get beyond that, so once you get to those who are giving uh, orders from Russia, 
you need something like an insider witness or satellite intercepts of orders. Uh, NATO countries might have those. We don't know that. Or you need someone who's willing to turn and become an insider witness. That's the sort of difficulties that the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court has in linking someone at the very top to crimes that have happened on the ground. Um, good question from one of our listeners, and uh, it, it's a fair question. We've talked so much about what the world can do. You know, we've got the economic sanctions, and uh, there's the support militarily, not with forces, but with equipment and with funding and all the rest. Um, we, <laughs> In sort of sitting back and, and letting this continue, is there a way, two questions, is there a way to stop it um, short of military action? I mean, we, I don't know how much stock a lot of us put in the international court being all that effective, especially, you know, given Russia's influence on the UN. Um, is there a way to stop it legally um, or is it all after the fact? And do other countries become somewhat culpable in this for not taking more action uh, as it's unfolding? The International Criminal Court was never going to be the full answer to addressing what's going on in Ukraine because the response, the, the only way to have a, a truly effective response is through um, military yeah. action. So political will is needed for that. And right now, as you know, NATO has decided not to become involved in that way. Um, the International Criminal Court is responsive rather than uh, proactive in terms of stopping a conflict. Um, in terms of whether countries could be or individuals could be held liable for not acting, um, it's unlikely that the only judicial bodies that are looking at this, the International Criminal Court and the various investigations going on in countries in Europe, would focus on that as opposed to focus on who has actually carried out the crimes. But in theory, there could potentially be state responsibility uh, there's just not necessarily a venue to, an right. international venue to, to hold a state liable for not acting. I appreciate your time so much. Last one, and then I'll let you go. Do we have any historical precedent going back to World War II, the Nazis, anything like that, any way that we can sort of point to and say, you, you know, this is the way, or Bosnia, something like that, where we can say this is how the International Criminal Court works, and this is what we can expect in this instance? Oh, absolutely. Some, unfortunately, some similar types of crimes happened in Bosnia. So the former, the court of the former Yugoslavia um, has some case precedent that the International Criminal Court could point to and say this looks like that. Uh, mass graves, shooting of civilians, etc. Um, but I mean, in any place where we've had an international court, we've had, unfortunately, similar uh, executions of civilians and whatnot. So there is precedent. Um, Valerie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. That is Valerie Oosterveld. We've had her on the show before, Associate Director of Western University Centre for Transitional Justice and Post-Conflict Reconstruction. She's also a member of the Canadian Partnership for International Justice.